You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So uh, I think taking a day helped quite a bit, which I guess you would expect, but um, it only really helped because there are some positives and I actually found them. As of yesterday, when I tried to think of positives, even, you know, Matt LaFleur, he, when he was asked, are there any positives? He kind of paused for a second and said, not that I can think of. But I found some stuff and it, it's, I mean, it's, it's not just a matter of it wasn't all bad. It, it, it's kind of a matter of it was a, a, a tale of two different games that happened. Um, and I, I alluded to this on Twitter. If you follow me there, you probably have, have heard this point already. Um, and this is, this is honestly the case with a lot of our blowouts. Now, granted, there are a couple blowouts where everybody was, for the most part, terrible with the exception of like one or two guys. Um, but a lot of the time, there, there's a bunch of guys, and, and sometimes as many as, or as much as about half the team, and that was the case here. And, and to be clear, there are games that we win and semi-handily where we have about half the team playing well and half the team playing poorly. I, I think the, the big distinguishing factor is which things are working and which things are not working, and how badly are the guys who are not playing playing. And for example, when the lowest graded player on your team is your quarterback, that's kind of a giveaway that this isn't going to work out very well. But um, I kind of want to rip through a couple of different thoughts that I had, a couple of different things uh, that I had considered. But um, I went on social media and asked for your assistance, just kind of saying, where do you stand with all this? Where are you kind of coming in at? And I want to start with that because I got a ton of responses, um, even on Twitter, which Every time I ask for questions or commentary on Twitter, nobody ever bothers, so I very rarely even ask any questions on there. It kind of blew up on Twitter, so um, I think the first half of this is probably just going to be your thoughts and then my comments, and then um, we'll just kind of rip through specifics, you know, PFF and whatnot, and especially highlighting some of the positive and, and why I think things should turn around, although at the same time, the questions are still the questions, right? Things turn around assuming everything just gets better. Right? I'm assuming Aaron Rodgers is not going to stay at that level of play. That's a fairly simple assumption, but doesn't really answer the question of how good is he going to be the entire year, you know what I mean? But we'll get to that. Plus, a lot of the points and comments that I'm going to have are um, probably embedded in some of these questions and comments, so we'll see what's left over after we go through this. But we'll start with Facebook, because um, that's what I linked first. So my question, as I phrased it in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group, be sure to join in on that, said, all right, you've had a data process. What's your takeaway? Kyle starts it off and says, Chargers two years ago, Bucks last year. We've had a turd game every year. Might as well have it week one. And again, that is fair because, listen, the reason why 
this is frustrating. And again, you, you can't necessarily assume that it's just going to be one time and that's it. However, you can't also pretend like this hasn't happened before and pretend like this, it, it's, it's ultra ridiculous for Green Bay Packer fans in particular who have been not locked in a cage the last two years to see a terrible game and assume that means we're a terrible team. That makes absolutely no sense considering we've seen this. And it's, it's not just those two games, to be fair. It was the Chargers game two years ago. It was also the 49ers game and the other 49ers game. And there were a few others in there where, especially 2019, felt like about half the year, even a bunch of those wins just felt bad. But we won 13 games. And same with last year. We had a couple games that just felt bad, right? Tampa Bay twice, probably a couple others. But we won 13 games. So, you know, it, 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 it doesn't have to be one thing or the other. I think, I think the only thing you can't do is assume that you know 100% that this means that. You don't know we're going to bounce back from this. You don't know they're going to be a good team this year. You also don't know they're going to be a terrible team this year. So we'll just have to see that what happens, I guess. But it does suck, and it does suck to start 0-1, and it does make you nervous, and there is absolutely reason to be worried about what we saw. For starters, my entire episode yesterday. <laughs> How about just the fact that we keep seeing it in general being a problem? Uh, Andrew says, two rookies on the offensive line, and it showed. Rodgers looked rusty, no offseason work put in, Defense looked no different with a new coordinator. All right, so I'm not going to go too in-depth on all this because, again, that's going to be a lot of what we're doing later, but we'll take it one step at a time. Two rookies on the offensive line, and it showed. Um, eh. <laughs> Three guys were really bad on the offensive line, and by really bad, that those are two varying degrees. But there were three guys that I would say were subpar or terrible. Billy Turner, Royce Newman, and Lucas Patrick. The two guys that looked really good were Josh Myers and Elton Jenkins. According to the grades and statistics, both of those guys performed really well as pass blockers as well as run defenders. So um, as far as two rookies on the offensive line and it showed, I don't agree. I think we had three guys that didn't play well. Only one of them was a rookie. Two of them have been on this team long enough where you would expect it to be better. But again, this gets to the positives. Number one, Royce Newman. We, we got two ways of looking at this in a positive light. Number one, we can acknowledge that was a bad choice. Go back with Royce, uh, John Runyon, and you kind of get that baseline level of at least we have John Runyon, right? Or we just assume it was one day, it was a rookie uh, on his first game, and he'll get better. I don't know, but we have a couple outs here with this. The other positive is the fact that we had a rookie second-round pick who, by the way, we <laughs> we we had a second-round pick playing left tackle who, who was a center in college. We moved him to guard, and he was fantastic. We moved him to tackle... By the way, if you haven't been, if you don't follow me on Twitter, you don't know this, but if you do, you should. Second highest graded tackle in all of football, unless this has changed, a couple new grades have probably come out. Elton Jenkins, our left guard. But anyways, I digress. Our this year's second round pick um, was the fifth highest graded center in all of football. He had a great outing this week. As well he should, because it's not a very good defensive line, but the fact remains that's a very big positive for this team, at least a very good start, and, and also kind of leans into what I've been talking about. Not everybody had a bad day, and not, and not only is it not that not everybody was bad, there are some really, really positive points. Again, Elton Jenkins, according to week one anyways, one of the best tackles in all of football. Is that going to maintain? I don't know. I don't know anything, but the one thing I do know is that the Saints, one of the few things they do have really good is really good edge rushers, and Elton Jenkins held his own. He didn't allow a single sack. He allowed one pressure the entire game. One. I think it was a hit. No sacks, no hurries, one hit. Which essentially means Aaron Rodgers threw the ball, and after he threw it, he got popped. Uh, second one says, Rodgers looked rusty. No offseason work put in. 
I can't really speak to the offseason thing. Um, I know a lot of people want to bring up preseason. I mean, look, well, well, we'll leave that because I'm sure somebody else will bring that up. He didn't necessarily say preseason. He said offseason. But Rodgers did absolutely look rusty, and rusty is kind of a polite way to put it. He looked very reminiscent of how he looked in 2019 when he was not trusting the scheme. He had, If you look at Peter Bukowski did a thread, it was a very good thread about just indecisiveness. It was very reminiscent of 2019 where, and, and even 2018 before Matt LaFleur got there where there's a guy sitting right there, throw it. Just throw it. Why aren't you throwing it? And, and a lot of times, I think in 28, 2018 especially, he just refused to throw to the check down. He would just, you know, that guy's open, I'm going to throw it way down the field. This time he threw it, but he was just very late. There were a lot of bad decisions, a lot of late. Just, just he, he was just he played really poorly. Now, how this correlates to the offseason, I don't know. Uh, there, there's a lot of theories floating around. This is when everybody's bias and, and their opinions come out. So, for example, the people who said that preseason matters, they're on a rampage right now. The people that said Aaron Rodgers uh, is failing because of what happened in the offseason and he's not focused on football and all this stuff and that's his fault, they're having a rampage. The people that said this is proof that we don't have uh, very good wide receivers outside of Devontae Adams, they're having a rampage, right? Everybody brings out their old tired takes that nobody has vetted and been able to prove in any capacity. And it's frustrating because I actually spend the time to go out and do research and say, for example, the preseason thing, here's all the information I can find on the preseason. I read all the data to you and I said, I'll leave it up to you. Do you see any correlation? Nobody messaged me and said, it sounds like a correlation to me. Nobody. But then we get this game and everyone's like, see, I told you. You told me what? This doesn't prove anything. This is a theory. This is a theory that you've yet to prove. One thing I was thinking when I was at work, I I should have, I've had two different lawyers offer their services to this podcast. I should have them come on and be like, all right, you're a judge. I'm going to present their case to you and you see if it's admissible in the court of law. Guess what? None of your guys' evidence would be would go anywhere because you're not presenting any. You're just saying this happened, therefore. Well, how do you know that's the thing that caused it? Again, I just presented like three or four different theories as to why things happen. How do you know which one it is? Why is everybody else's theory stupid, but yours is right, even though you've provided no additional evidence? By the way, six quarterbacks did not start in the preseason. Four of them performed very well. Two of them did not. Again, show me. Here's another theory. Aaron Rodgers always starts slow week one. In that exact same episode where I talked about correlations between guys not playing and all that stuff, he has pretty bad week ones consistently. And that is when he played in the preseason as well as when he doesn't play in the preseason. It's not because, well, it's because he doesn't play. No, that's not true. He does sometimes. He just hasn't recently, and he's still bad. So again, I mean, you can still hang on to that. I would just like it if anybody would do any amount of analysis or research or find something, go out and prove it. Give me any amount of data. Do Put in like five minutes of work to prove your theory rather than just saying, I feel it, therefore. And then, then feel vindicated when something happens. It just, it doesn't make any sense. But again, there's going to be 19 different comments of, of people saying that exact same thing. Nobody's going to provide any evidence. Nobody cares. They're just going to get mad and scoff when I say prove it. Well, <laughs> Okay. Denied. Sorry. Motion denied. Not sure if that's how that works, but that's why I need a lawyer to come on and be the judge. Third point, defense looked no different with the new coordinator. Again, I don't want to go super into detail. All I'll say is it's kind of hard to tell. There were certain guys, especially the guys that we were told were going to do a lot better, namely the pass rushers and the defensive linemen. We were told they're going to be more free, they're going to be able to do more stuff, and none of us saw anything. But when we get to the statistics, it might kind of perk your ears up a little bit. The bigger issue isn't that our guys weren't winning because they were. Three of the guys up front that we depend on, probably the the biggest three that we actually care about, had unbelievable days in terms of how often they won, but they had almost no opportunities because our 
we just didn't, they didn't have very many opportunities, period. I mean, if you look at it, it feels like Jameis Winston threw the ball 500 times. He really didn't. But I, but I do agree that it didn't look different. I do agree that it's frustrating that we didn't blitz. We just kept rushing the, the front guys. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I get it. And, and to be honest, I, I, I think it was worse. The thing that I at least respected about Petten, although it was, it was vanilla, is that he didn't really give up a lot of big plays. He kept everything in front of him. This felt more like Dom Capers, where we can't provide any rush, and the quarterback sits in the pocket for 10 minutes, and then he throws 25-yard passes because we can't cover down the field either. And, you know, pretty much everybody can do that when you have that much time in the pocket. Jameis Winston, by the way, had more time in the pocket than any quarterback. I think it was like 3.19 seconds in the pocket on average. So, yeah, that's that's a problem. And, and so that's people keep saying, what's the difference? The difference is this was worse. This was by far much worse than what you saw overall with than what we saw with Mike Pettin. This felt a lot more like Dom Capers' defense to me. But again, there's some glimmers of hope in there. If, if we can kind of get this to come together, there's, there's those glimmers. But nothing was able to come together in this game. So we'll have to give it time, but I don't know. Uh, Andrew says punting was good. It was good. It was, it was significantly overrated, but it was good. I can say, depending on what you want to look at, that it was, at least as far as one week goes, an upgrade over what you would expect on average from J.K. Scott. Um, if we just look at grades, he had a 62.6, which is right about average, but that's pretty much what every punter gets. It's hard to get too much higher or lower unless you're really, really good or really, really terrible. Uh, he ranked ninth overall, um, his yards per attempt, he ranked, uh, 25th out of 31, his net yardage ranked 21st out of, uh, 20, uh, 21st out of 31, his long, which I, I could have swore the announcer said it was 60-some-odd yards. I could have swore it was 60-something. According to this, his longest was 59 yards, which was ninth longest. There was uh, eight other people that kicked it 60 yards or, or more, I guess. The one thing that was pretty solid was his hang time, 4.59. But again, even that, J.K. Scott's hang time average for the season was, I think, 4.57. So it was about right on point. So the only big difference here would be the net and the long. Not that J.K. never kicked it 59 yards or longer, but he only had two that was 59 or longer in the entire season. So having Bajorquez do that in his first game leads me to believe you're probably going to get a lot more banger-type kicks. So, I mean, I'm not doing backflips. It was it was a good game. If J.K. did that, that would be a good game. Uh, again, there was a, at least one punt I know that was, that was quite bad. But um, overall, I'm happy. My... My, my standard for the special teams is to just just do your job at a basic level. And I think Bohorquez did that. All the punts were, again, aside from that one, all the punts, in my opinion, were like, all right, that's solid. That's fine. 59-yarder is fantastic. The other one, I think, that went out at the 15 is more than fine. I'm good with it. Jason says, uh, didn't see the pressure blitz packages like we did in the preseason. If we had sent a free rusher a few of those times, maybe Jameis didn't escape the rush first down after rushing down all the time or would have caused him to make a bad throw instead. Other than that, we pushed the pocket fairly well, just had no answer to escaping the pocket. So that's, I'm going to pause there. That That is a really good point. One of the interesting things about his time to throw, um, his time to throw was almost four seconds when we actually blitzed him. Um, I think it's just his ability to scramble was a problem. That was the other thing with Petten. So one of the things that kind of annoyed me is our guys with Petten never really wanted to um, get around people. You know what I mean? You never saw a guy just like fly past people, go out and smoke the quarterback, kind of like we saw with Zedarius on that one hit that, of course, got turned around. Generally, what you saw was the pocket slowly suffocate. So every time we saw a sack, it was the pocket suffocating the quarterback. And it annoyed me because it's like, that's such an inefficient way to do it. 
But the thing is, there's nowhere for him to go. It felt like within this game, everybody's playing kind of wild. And so if you got somebody that got a little pressure, Jameis would just scoot to the other side and there was no answer for that. And a lot of times he wouldn't throw it. He would just, as evidenced by his time to throw, he would kind of just kind of jog to the side and hang on and try to find somebody. And a lot of times he would find somebody and throw either a touchdown or a completion. And if there was nothing, he would just scramble and run because there's nobody in that area. So the really depressing thing here is I'm starting to really appreciate Mike Pettin as we watch this game. All the things that I thought annoyed me, I'm starting to understand. And it's like, oh, that's why maybe he told him to do that. I think I get it now. But yeah, I, I, I think that's... Um it's reminiscent to what I said yesterday, and, and it's it's backed up by the statistics. And I won't go into it now because I don't feel like pulling it up. But everything I said yesterday about how well he grades when he's not pressured compared to when he is pressured, it holds up. In this game, just as well as any other game. He graded, I think, in like the 60s with pretty basic statistics, nothing super special, when he was blitzed or when pressure was brought. And um, when it wasn't, he uh, kind of picked us apart. So yeah, I would have liked to have seen, again, nothing, it's not like I'm asking him to do something out of the ordinary. I'm just saying, do what I thought you were going to be doing anyways. I thought we were going to see all these exotic blitzes, or, and not even exotic, Just I just thought you were going to blitz, you know what I mean? And you didn't, and that's strange to me. Uh, he goes on to say, I still want Stokes over King, let the rookie learn. If he gets burnt, I wouldn't feel as bad as I do watching. So that's, again, I'm just going to stop it there, I get the point. Um, that's the biggest thing, and I, I saw... Um, Mr. Uh, Matt Larson on Twitter, one of the boys from Packers Without Borders, asking, give me, saying something to the effect of, give me a reason why Eric Stokes shouldn't start over King. And I think my immediately, immediate thought and a lot of other people's immediate thought is, well, it's experience. But as soon as that thought entered my brain, it just dawned on me, what, what is the worst that could happen? What, what's the problem with inexperience? What's, 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 so what? He's going to look like Kevin King if he gets burned? Like, who cares? That's basically what Jason just said. Like, maybe he's going to suck. So what? Why would we care? Why, why is that worse than Kevin King? Now, the only real defense I could think of is Kevin King played, uh, let's see, he played 56 snaps, right? That's, that's a lot. He, uh, where are we at here? He gave up, he was targeted two times, two receptions, 72 yards, and a touchdown. So, I mean, as bad as that is, and he did grade out pretty terribly, on 56 snaps, 25 of of which he was in coverage, he was only targeted twice. It could be a lot worse than that. We've seen, you know, eight targets, seven receptions for 150-some yards and two touchdowns. That's worse than Kevin King. It's a completely made-up scenario, but it's a made-up scenario that would be completely devastating in a game, let's say, oh, I don't know, like the Lions, where we should win so long as we don't completely botch this thing. And as much as we're all fed up with Kevin King, if you tell me that we're going to be significantly better than the Lions and Kevin, you just tell me right ahead of time, it's going to be two targets, two receptions, 72 yards and a touchdown. I'm probably going to play Kevin King because I can live with that. And I think that's kind of part of the problem and why this is going to be a slow transition is the Packers right now. And and if you're thinking this as I'm saying it, I completely understand. But I do think a lot of what the Packers are doing is rather than playing to win, they're playing not to lose which technically is the same thing, but it's really not. Because the decisions you make to ultimately win the game are very different. If you're playing to win, if you're playing to dominate, if you're playing to be the best and the most elite, you know Kevin King's never going to get you there, and maybe Eric Stokes will. Let's put him out there, let's trial by fire, and let's see what we can get out of the kid. If we're playing not to lose, you go with Kevin King, because Kevin King at least provides you a baseline floor. It's a low floor, but at least there's a floor, and you know where it is, and you know that you can win with him out there kind of fumbling around. 
by worst case scenario, it's it's like four receptions for you know I don't know 101 yards, and even that is is kind of worse than usual. He doesn't average 72 yards a game, I wouldn't say. Uh, he goes on to say, don't have to abandon the run, being down 17 with a hole half to play. I think we all agree on that. Let Dylan pound it a while, uh, run them down in the heat, keep him on the field, and take your shot. So yeah, and I think that's one of the benefits we have because very often we'll see that where depending on who we're playing, we saw it in the preseason, we've seen it in other games, one guy is just kind of hitting and the other isn't. It might just be a, a style of defense compared to the style of runner. Right again, I saw that in the in the preseason where Kylan Hill would dominate in one particular game as sort of the more speedy, slashy guy, and in other games, AJ Dillon is the one that's kind of just tearing it up. And in this game, it was AJ Dillon. It's the benefit of having these different styles of backs. You start off with Aaron Jones, obviously, because he's your best. He's your best back, one of the best players on our team. But if you, if, if he's not doing it, and we give uh, AJ Dillon a shot, and he starts ripping off kind of big chunks, can, all things considered. There should be a little light bulb that goes off in your head and says, okay, this is work. And it's important that we establish the run. So we need to keep pounding him until they change something and, and figure out a way to stop him. And that should change things up. The whole, I mean, my whole understanding of how we lost, if I understand what Aaron Rodgers and everybody else is saying, is that they're playing too high. They're not loading up the box. And they're saying, we're going to beat you with the front we have, which is pathetic. They should never be able to do that. Nobody should be able to do that if we actually believe we have a good offensive line, especially if we know they don't have a very good defensive line. So if they're just going to play in their base and be able to stop the run, that's a problem. The whole thing is we need to be able to run the ball effectively. And we were with A.J. Dillon, so keep doing it. And the, and the other thing is, we another thing that we know and everybody knows from experience watching this, the more you do it, the better it gets because you start to loosen them up. So just commit to it. Just keep doing it. And we, we got to a point way too early where we just said, we're just not running anymore. We're giving up. And I, I just don't get that at all. Jesse says, tackling must improve. Three of those drives would have ended if we were able to tackle Winston, not the D coordinator's fault on those plays, plus things already said in this thread. So one thing that was pointed out, and you can dispute it if you'd like, the highest graded tackling team was the Green Bay Packers. Now, there were some instances where guys were getting pretty close to Winston and they couldn't quite get him down. Um, I don't recall specifically, you know, I know a lot of those times they just got close and Jameis either ran away or kind of faded away and, and whatever. I don't really remember not being able to get him to the ground. I'm sure it happened a couple times, but the tackling, and, and by the way, the Packers never, ever, ever grade out well in terms of tackling. And here's, here's another thing. You want to talk about a positive note. I've always said good defenses tackle well. The Packers will never have a good defense if they don't ever learn to tackle, and the Packers have always struggled on defense, and they've always been one of the bottom-tier tackling teams. You don't have to believe it if you don't want, but I'm taking it as a very big positive that the Green Bay Packers had an 85. It was actually their highest grade of anything on this entire chart. Overall grade, offensive grade, passing grade, pass blocking, receiving, running, run blocking, defense, run defense, tackling, pass rush coverage, and special teams. It was one of only three things that actually graded out as good, run blocking, pass blocking were the other two, and tackling. And if you want statistics, I'll, I'll give them to you. There were two missed tackles in this entire game. One of them was by Kenny Clark. One of them was by Devondre Campbell, and that's it. Nobody else missed a tackle. Nobody. Chris Barnes had seven tackles, no misses. Devondre, six tackles, one miss. Adrian Amos, six tackles, no missed tackles. Kenny Clark, five tackles, one miss. Preston Smith had five. Jair had four. Dean Lowry had three. Uh, TJ Slayton had two. Uh, Oren Burks, Isaac Yadam, Shandon Sullivan, Kingsley Kiki, Tyler Lancaster, Kevin King, and Zadarius Smith all had tackles. None of them had any missed tackles. That's a pretty solid day. 
I know, I know what you mean in terms of, of, of finishing, you know, like you, you, you beat the tackle now tackle Jameis Winston. But again, in my brain, a lot of those are just, they didn't get there in time aside from Zadarius. Mitchell says Rogers isn't fully to blame for this game. Obviously the defense was terrible, but I personally think it just shows it's time for Rogers to shut up and play quarterback, not GM coach, scout, president, and hippie. I don't think a lot of people are going to like that comment, but I think there's some validity to it. And he- here's where I think there's a lot of validity to it. Aaron Rodgers, better than anybody else, understands how much is needed to be a very good quarterback. There is nobody on the planet that's very, very good, that has dedicated their life to something else, that's ever going to be able to say, you know what, I think I'm going to pick up a, a football and go play quarterback. And that includes people that are around quarterbacks. That includes people that are football players, right? Randall Cobb played quarterback a little bit in college and this, that, and the other. He cannot play professional quarterback. He can't do it. Bajorquez, who kicks balls really far, cannot throw balls the way Aaron Rodgers can. In fact, most quarterbacks can't even play quarterback well enough to be professionals. I do think he needs to, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that you know he's failing because he tried to be a GM or anything like that, but I do think it's, it's, it's a little bit absurd, and, and to the point of why uh, Brian Gutekunst doesn't want to entertain any of this, it is a little bit absurd to just pretend that he can pick up and be a GM. Again, I know he can give feedback, but he's already giving feedback. What he wants is more than that. They've, they've already asked his opinion. He's already given his opinion. The thing that he doesn't like is that he doesn't have more power in the say in things. He doesn't like that he says, I like this guy, and the GM's like, oh, that's cool. Uh, we're going to cut him, though. Not because he likes him, just because me as the GM have made an assessment that is different than yours, and I wonder who's going to win this battle, the guy whose job it is to assess talent or the quarterback who's friends with him. Quarterback is a very difficult job. Don't worry about GM, all right? Don't worry about it. Feel free to give your opinion, and uh, hopefully the GM does take some of that into account. Like, oh, he's a good locker room guy? That's cool. I will, uh, you know, maybe bump him up a half a tick there. There we go. Good locker room guy. Glad you like him. He's real clutch. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm the freaking GM. That's, that's what we do. We have an entire pro personnel staff who watch our guys and everybody else's guys, and, and an entire coaching staff, actually, that watches and can tell me things about how clutch guys are. But I appreciate your input, Aaron. Thank you very much. Why don't you go worry about being a quarterback? Thank you. I get where where you're coming from there, Mitchell. Uh, David says, when's week one start? It's a very popular sentiment. That was a preseason game. Don't worry about it. No big deal. Um, I'm kind of okay with that, except I'm entirely not, because um, that was all of our starters, and they looked terrible, and that game counted. So I I mean, if it helps you get through this week, go for it. I don't want to try to knock you off your pedestal it's just not working for me. I'm not, I can't rock with that one. Chris says, I don't recall if a lot of other teams didn't play starters during the preseason, but I'd be curious if there was a correlation between that and bad performances in week one across the league. I haven't looked into it because I don't really care. I already did the work and looked at our entire team and how well they perform based on how often they play in the preseason. Nobody cared about everything I said in that episode. Everybody just defaulted back to their original premise. So I'm not going to bother, but somebody else did post six quarterbacks. As I said earlier, Six quarterbacks sat out, did not play a single snap. Russell Wilson, I know, was one of them. Apparently, four of them did very well. Two of them did not. Now, if you believe the preseason is the reason that this is happening, you're going to completely ignore this information, just like every other bit of information I've tried to provide to you on this. If you're inclined to believe that maybe this didn't have anything to do with it, you'll probably take what I'm saying and run with it as evidence that it's not true. So I don't think anybody's convinced by anything I say. I think we all just default back to our our gut feelings because what our gut says is the most important thing. Daniel says they better get it together before San Francisco. I don't want to be the first game I see uh, them in person so far, 4-0. So I'm reading this all improperly, but he's going to watch that game and he hopes they get better. 
I think Detroit is a very important game um, because they need to get back on track because we've got some real tough games coming up because the Steelers and the 49ers are the exact kind of teams that when we play like this, we're going to get embarrassed. And those are teams who can win up front without providing any additional help, right? I'm only going to rush four. And um, and I guess in the case of Pittsburgh, it'll be five because it's a 3-4 defense. But we're not going to bring anybody extra. And we're going to play cover two. And we're going to dare you to run. And if you can't, you lose. How's that sound? If we don't get this figured out, if we don't figure out a rhythm, if we don't get this offensive line kind of in a groove, if we're not able to stand toe-to-toe with guys that are actually good at their job and say, you know what, we're going to play better, we don't win a lot of games. So I think Detroit is a great game. Again, we get an extra day to prepare, an extra day to train, an extra day to study tape and decide what to do with the roster and get things moving forward and get healthy and get ready and realize that, hey, maybe we can't just wake up in the morning and beat everybody without really trying. We actually got to kind of get in gear here. Um, and then we're at home, which is fantastic. And it's the Detroit Lions, who are easily one of the worst teams in football. I mean, I'm assuming. I guess I don't really know anything anymore. But uh, that opinion that I had before hasn't really changed after watching what happened in San Francisco. The, the comeback was nice for them, but I still think it's a terrible team. So this is your chance. This is your your one opportunity to, to figure it out and get into a rhythm and work it out, right? So you had your quote-unquote preseason game. So that's out of your system now. So no more excuses. And if if they don't win and win semi-convincingly, I'm worried. Now, it's maybe a little bit unfair because the Lions typically play them close, but I'm getting tired of that excuse. If they're a bad team, just shellac them. That's it. That's it. I don't I don't want to hear any stupid, well, it's the Lions. We don't play the Lions well. That's a stupid excuse. Well, the Packers don't do well in Florida. I, I, uh, <laughs> that, that's, not, that's not acceptable. I'm not accepting that. I'm sorry. I don't care the state. The team is bad. Go beat them and buy a lot of points. That's it. But I don't know. All we can do is hem and haw. Um, but I tell you what, that's going to be a nerve-wracking game for all of us. I mean, I, I I can't speak to everybody's demeanor, but I have to assume I'm not going to be the only one that's going to be sitting there with just... It's not going to be excitement. I was excited for this past game because I was feeling pretty confident. This game is just going to be nonstop nerves. And the second I see the Packers do anything bad, I'm just going to have a heart attack. Um, because this has to be a good game for the Packers. It just It just has to be. Billy says the team was unmotivated and unprepared. We got away from the run way too soon. Rodgers went back to his 2018 form, ignoring checkdowns. D-line was horrible, and we should have played bigger ball, three to four down linemen versus one, two down linemen. You have to stop the run first and force the pass. Um, Yeah, I think that fairly sums it up. Um, Unmotivated and unprepared is is really the biggest thing. I mean, the, the game plan was terrible. The play calling was terrible. And the execution, while not entirely terrible, and and maybe we'll get to that. <laughs> I don't even know if we're going to get through Facebook. Um, we might have to do Twitter tomorrow. I don't know. Or I can just be more concise. But yeah, I think that sums it up. Uh, David says, pathetic prep. Absolutely. Cody says, Rogers is the devil. That's not impossible because that's not possible because that would mean he's the one um, helping uh, Tom Brady win Super Bowls. I butchered the joke, but you get what I'm trying to say. Wayne says, even if quote-unquote statistics don't corroborate it, I can't help but think everyone needs to play in the preseason. So again, here we go. Wayne, I get it. That's what you think. Putting statistics in quotes is a nice nice touch. Again, a slap in the face. It's like, again, you, you do all that work and you do all that preparation and that takes you hours to go through, not to try to prove a point, for me to try to figure out, is there any validity to it? And I just went out there and I found it and said, it doesn't look like it to me. What do you think? And then he throws that as st- statistics in quote and just brushes it off. But that's fine. I I don't mind you saying it. I just want you to go out and verify it. Go show me something that demonstrates that that's the case. That's all I'm saying. Tim says Kenny Clark hasn't remotely lived up to his contract. People blame Lowry and Lancaster, but they're not paid nearly as much as Clark. He's supposed to be the anchor. 
I'm really torn on that because, you know, again, it's, it's, it's something that's hard to prove. Because a lot of people say it's Kenny Clark is doing great, he just doesn't have good guys around him. I have no way to verify that. All I know is Kenny Clark is not making the impact he used to, and that bothers me. And I, there's no way that I or you or anybody can prove that if, well, if, if Kiki played better, Kenny would be a stud. I can't prove that. Now, we may as well move on to another guy that played really well, and that was Kenny Clark. Not that he graded out super well, but his pressure percentage was over 16%. 16%. His grade was a 70.0 overall, which is good. I mean, especially for Kenny. I mean, last year he didn't start grading out as even good until halfway through the season. But the biggest thing for me is that he had three pressures on 19 attempts. That's pretty solid. Now, it's kind of a small sample size because everybody just had a small sample size and there's not a whole lot you can do about it. But what did you do with those opportunities? He did a great job. By the way, last year, he didn't get to three pressures until week three um, I shouldn't say week three, he didn't play the first couple games, but his third game, because the first two games he played, he didn't have any pressures. And then he had four pressures, and then he didn't have any of the next two games, and then he had one, and then he had four. So aside from his game against Houston, where he had four pressures, he had zero, 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 one. So, and, and in that game, he had four pressures on 33 attempts. That's only 12%. That's, that's, that's just fine. That's a fine game. This is three pressures on only 19 attempts. So in terms of just pass rush, he did a fantastic job. He really did. Um, He, uh, if I can get this working here, had the second highest behind Rashawn Gary, kind of skipping a little bit, but um, that's, that's, that's clutch. And And his run defense was not bad. His tackling was fine. So everything seemed to be fine. And I can say in this game, in regard to the other guys around him, the other defensive tackles were terrible. The lowest graded defensive player on this entire team was Kingsley Kiki. Um, Chauncey Rivers was one of the lowest with a 47 overall grade. Kingsley Kiki was a 36 overall grade. Dean Lowry was a 52. Tyler Lancaster was a 59. All of our defensive tackles outside of Kenny Clark were a joke. They were terrible. Not one of them had a pressure. In fact, not one of them even had a win which is a new stat that PFF is tracking, which gives a little bit more context because sometimes you win, which is beating the guy in front of you, but you don't quite get to make a pressure, right? You beat the guy in front of you and then the pass comes out. It doesn't register as a stat because it wasn't a pressure, but you won, right? Somebody's got to win. Either the offensive lineman wins or the defensive lineman wins. Um, None of these guys that I listed, Lancaster, Lowry, uh, Kiki, none of them had a single win, and by the way, TJ Slayton is in on that too. He didn't have, he graded out a little bit better at 64.5, a little above just average, but zero pressures, zero wins in terms of pass rush. I mean, that's not run defense. That's, you know, if it's a run play and you push a guy straight back into the running back like TJ Slayton did on one play in particular, that's fine, but that's not a pass rush win. So again, the positive is that was an unbelievable game from Kenny Clark. The negative is everybody around him was terrible. Now, that's a narrative that I think is overblown. I think a lot of times we've seen where Kenny Clark is one of the worst defensive tackles statistically and as far as grades, and and he's got guys like Kingsley Kiki playing better than him. And everybody, when you start attacking Kenny Clark, saying, well, if he had help, dude, he, he is the help. He's helping Kingsley Kiki half the time. But in this particular game, I, I do think it was... Uh, I'm blaming everybody else because he did a good job. And again, kind of getting into what I was talking about before with some potential benefits of the scheme, although not a lot of actual finishing the job, Rashawn Gary, Zadarius Smith, and Kenny Clark were fantastic. Kenny Clark, uh, excuse me, where am I? Um, So many tabs. 
Rashawn Gary is the man's name, four pressures on 16 attempts. That's 25%. That's a stupid number that never happens. Now, it's just one game, and, and I shouldn't say it never happens. As far as a, a season average, it, it never happens. Once in a while, you get a fluky game like that, but that's an incredible stat. And and for a guy especially that ended the season this way, where he had a bunch of games at the end of the year where he was getting a, a bunch of real good games and a lot of real high statistics, and you're kind of looking at it going, man, if the end of the year was more of what he did at the beginning of the year or throughout the entire year, he would have had some incredible statistics. But unfortunately... He didn't start off the year quite as hot as he ended the year. Um, But for him to start off this year doing that well is really impressive. He didn't have a game that good until week 10 against Jacksonville. Jacksonville, he had seven pressures on 22 attempts, which is 33%, which is obviously crazy. It's one of the only games he did do that well. Um, Five on 26 is not as good. Six six of 13 is, is insane against Tennessee. And then seven and 22 against LA. So he has these games where you know, 25 to 30% of his pressures are, 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 are pressures, which is stupid. But again, week one, he did it. So that's a fantastic start. And Zadarius was the same. He didn't register a single pressure, but he only played nine snaps uh, on pass rushes. And he apparently won around 25% of his, in other words, he beat the guy in front of him 25% of the time. So the three guys, the three premier guys that we want to do really good, especially as far as pass rush, they won. They just did not get a ton of opportunities, and they didn't capitalize enough when they won as far as getting to Jameis, containing Jameis, and actually getting him on the on the ground, causing disruption, causing pass deflections, interceptions, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Jason says Rodgers played like he was trying to force his way out. If he ignores the coach ever again, he should be shown his new throne 10 yards behind the sideline on a shiny bench. The guy's gotten way too full of himself. So I don't know exactly what the reference is there. Apparently he ignored something. I must have missed that. But yeah, you, you, you can't do that. He goes on to say, can we finally be done with King and let Stokes take over? Kind of talked about it. I'm, I'm okay with it. I understand the risk and I'm willing to risk, especially since King is still here. I'm not saying send him off, bench him. Let's say we're going to start Stokes. If Stokes really falls off, all right, King goes back in. You know, I don't want to lose the game because of Stokes, but let's give it a shot. Uh, said that the puncher was the most exciting part of the game. Fair enough. Jones couldn't get it going and Dylan was making progress. So we went mostly Jones, shrug. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand it either. The only thing I can think is they, they come with these rigid game plans and they, they have a hard time deviating from it, although they did deviate from the run entirely, so I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I have no idea. When we hire Barry, we should have ensured he had burnt his Lions D coordinator playbook first. That one, that one stings. Uh, Yusuf says the Packers are weak mentally. It's hard to argue with that. Dave says this greatly resembles the Chargers and 49ers game from 2019. The players across the board had literal energy, little hustle. The scheme game plan did not appear to be anything other than vanilla, and Rodgers appears to revert back to playing hero ball. That is true, and, you know, the thing that was annoying is there was this thing about them traveling and going to places that are kind of nice places, you know. Uh, The Chargers are out in Cali. The 49ers, both times we lost, are out in Cali. They went out to Cali, and there were all these rumors about these guys going out. Remember how Matt LaFleur had to change the schedule about we're going to fly out a day later because some of these guys were out partying the night before, not doing what they were supposed to be doing, according to players on the team, saying that guys were not taking this seriously? That's a problem, and and that's that's a coaching issue. Matt LaFleur is too soft on these guys. And the fact that he's going to change the schedule, what, what, a, what a wimpy thing to do. How about this? We're going to go out on the day that we're supposed to go out, two days before the game or whatever. If you're going out doing stupid stuff, there are consequences. I'm going to fine you. I'm going to bench you. I'm going to do whatever it is I have to do. Obviously, if it's Rodgers or Darius or whatever, you don't want to bench him. But there needs to be strict consequences. 
I'm not going to try to hide from, from you guys making bad, I'm going to protect you from making your own bad decisions. That's such a cowardly thing to do. Just, just random analogy off the top of my head. It would be like if, if my kid was running across the lawn and rather than running around my car, ran up on my car, dented my hood, and then jumped off. And my solution to that is I better back up the car so they don't do that again. No, no, no. My car stays right there. If you freaking do that again, I'm going to beat the living daylights out of you. Do you understand me? And guess what? My kid's not going to do that again. Matt LaFleur is the dad that backs up the car. Oh, I better move the car so they don't dent my hood again. There, I protected them from them making mistakes again. But there's no consequences. Where are the consequences? At what point do you man up and look at your players and say, do that one more time, I freaking dare you. I dare you to do that again. I dare you when we go out to Florida or my, you know, we go to Miami, we go to LA, we go to any of these places. I don't care. We can go to Buffalo. You go out to Buffalo Wild Wings the night before and you miss curfew by five minutes and watch what happens. I'll tell you in person at your door when you get there because I'll be standing right there and I'll tell you exactly what's about to happen. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just, I'm not trying to act like Mr. Tough Guy or what. I'm just saying, this is the mentality you need to have with some guys. I understand there's, there's a point at which you're being too rough and sometimes players rebel, but there's absolutely a point at which you're being way too soft and you're letting your players walk all over you. And it gets to a point where they don't have to care and they feel like they can just kind of cut, cut loose and lean back. And, you know, if some guys want to show up and they want to care, they can. And if some guys don't feel like putting in the effort, don't feel like getting in the right headspace, don't feel like taking care of their bodies and, and their, themselves the day before a game. They don't have to, because what are you going to do about it? Nothing. We haven't even taken a break yet, have we? Why don't we take a break? <laughs> it's a very late break, but we'll take a break. And then I think we'll just, I don't even know. This is, there's a lot of stuff here. But uh, we'll take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. By the way, I don't know if I mentioned this, but uh, somebody did claim, I might have mentioned it in this podcast, but somebody did claim that prize for the Jordy Nelson uh, trophy. We're going to be doing that again. Make sure you like and follow the Facebook page. Make sure you're signed up at Pristine Auction. As long as you've done that, the next step will be very easy for you. I think it's just going to be, we're going to post something, you share the post, and then you're entered. Uh, Chet says, Kevin King played very well except one play, and he was supposed to have help over the top, and he's getting roasted. Every other DB except Ja gave up a touchdown. They aren't getting burned at the stake. Uh, all right, let's let's pause. First of all, he got beat twice. And again, it was only two, but okay. I mean, and, and to your credit, you watched it and I didn't, but I can just go based on the guys who did also watch it. Um, all the other guys that you mentioned, you're right. Jair Alexander had a good game. The fourth highest graded player was Adrian Amos with a 75 overall grade. Um, two targets, two receptions, four yards, and a touchdown. There was that one bad play. The reason he had pretty good grades, aside from grading out better in coverage, 66.7, is that he had an 85 tackling grade and a 75 run defense grade. All right, moving on. Uh, Darnell Savage had a 64 overall grade, which is shocking considering his statistics. It means he must have done well in some other facets of the game. But he did have a 70 tackling grade, 70.9 coverage grade, as well as he had one pressure on two uh, blitzes here. But he had two targets, two receptions, 13 yards, two touchdowns. That's pretty bad. But still, 64 overall grade because, you know, again, 51 snaps. What did you do on your other opportunities? Who else do we have here at cornerback? We've got, where's the other, uh, where's our slot guy? I think I missed him. So Yadam only played six snaps, but he had a 68 overall grade. Uh, who are we missing? Oh, Chandon, 60 overall grade. He had three targets, three receptions, and one touchdown given up. But again, 60 overall grade, 58.2 coverage grade. Kevin King was the fourth lowest graded player on the team, 46.8, 40.2 coverage grade, which was the worst by a mile. The only guy that was even close to that was Devondre Campbell, 45.7. So again, this is where stati- this is where I like grades a little bit more than statistics because st- the statistics tell me what happened on two plays. I don't know what happened the other 54 plays for Kevin King. Now, again, to your credit, you went back and watched it, and if you disagree with their assessment, I can't say anything to you about that. That's on you to make that assessment. I didn't do that, and I don't plan on doing that because I just, I mean, it's, it's 6 o'clock, my family's going to be home, I, I, don't, I'm not, I don't have time. I would love to, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy, support the podcast. If we start doing well enough, I and mean, I can quit my job, I promise you, I'll be watching every snap of every player. But all I can do is look at this and say, Kevin King, as expected, fourth lowest graded guy, and it's not because of two receptions and five yards and one touchdown. It's not, because like you said, there were other guys. Uh, Chandon gave up a touchdown. Darnell Savage gave up two touchdowns. Adrian Amos gave up a touchdown. Everybody but Jair did. So why did he grade so much lower? It's because of everything else that happened. Presumably, but you know, whatever. But I get your point. You know, why doesn't everybody else? And and, and let, let, we all understand the reason. It's because Adrian's allowed to have a bad day, even though he graded out as the fourth best on the team. He's allowed to have a bad day. To us. Kevin King's not. He's just out of everybody's good graces. And so if, if Savage has a bad day, it's like, well, that sucks, but everybody has a bad day, he'll get better. Because you expect that. Kevin King has had bad days every day. With the exception of, of like, you know, 
three or four pretty good games. And that's that's the reason. And and I know that's unfair, but that's just the reality. Matt says time for J-Lo. Um, I'm assuming you're kidding, but maybe not. I, I'm actually seeing on uh, Discord right now some conversation about, you know, just if nothing else, curiosity. I wonder what he could have done because it couldn't have been any worse. Obviously, it's not the right time for that conversation. However, it was a good good showing. Regardless of what you think, it, it, it at least wasn't a disaster. In a game where everything was going wrong, right, he was making the right reads. He was the one throwing on in rhythm. And we assume that Aaron Rodgers just didn't have anybody open. But again, we know that that's not the case. He was choosing not to throw to guys that were open. And I don't know why. But Jordan Love did. He came out. He found guys that were open. He threw to them in rhythm. Maybe not the most perfectly accurate passes, but certainly more accurate than Aaron Rodgers was. And I'm not comparing. I'm not saying he's better than Rodgers. I'm just saying it's a good sign for the guy that um, very possibly is our quarterback next year. Patrick says, my takeaway is the coaching staff did not properly prepare the team to play. He goes on to say, however, let's see how they respond. I think next week versus Detroit will tell us about the rest of the season. I think that's a fairly good point. I mean, it's it's entirely possible they play bad then too, and then it takes until week three or four until they get into their groove. But that is a very, that's going to be a very telling game, especially with harder games coming up. It's hard to, to imagine them getting into their groove as we get into the difficult part of the schedule. Danny says, where's the juice? That's a fantastic question. Dan says, we have yet to see coach or player step up and lead. Until that happens, we'll win most of the games we should, lose some that we should not, and never realize the potential. I think that's a very fair point. Mike says, one issue I had is Dylan was getting five yards of carry. Why did he only run the ball a handful of times? Again, I, it's inexplicable to me. And it, it really just goes back to kind of similar bias to what we're talking about with Stokes, but these coaches kind of have their minds made up about certain guys, right? Stokes is not ready. That's not me saying that. That's the Green Bay Packers saying that. That's why he's not playing. Dylan isn't ready. That's why he's not playing. They just don't want him to. He's not ready. Aaron maybe doesn't trust him back there, and he doesn't quite understand the offense, and blah, 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 blah. You know, and I and I get it, and I think to some degree it's fair. It's a very cerebral game, and I think fans generally see it as an athletic game, and coaches see it as a cerebral game. And I think the, the tension here is that Matt LaFleur wants the guys who are best prepared to play, and we want the guys that are best prepared to play. <laughs> so, you know, again, from from their standpoint, Aaron Jones understands the offense. He's best equipped to not make a mistake. Again, more uh, playing to not lose instead of playing to win. And so I trust him. I trust that when I go out there and call a play, he's going to do exactly what I ask him to do. We're just simply looking at a guy that's succeeding and saying, just, just roll with the hot hand. And I think that is a weak spot, probably not just for Matt LaFleur, but for a lot of coaches where they just get scared and say, I don't trust them. There's been too many times when I, you know, and I, I even saw, I think it was Dylan was out there. Aaron Rodgers makes a check and he's got to spend three seconds explaining what's going on to Dylan. Like, no, you know, it's like the clock's ticking down. He's still talking to the guy. That's the kind of stuff that frustrates Aaron Rodgers and frustrates Matt LaFleur towards like, just get him off the field. But our, our point standpoint is just put him out there. So what? It's working. And, and, and we don't win this game if we don't establish a run. I think it was the wrong call. I think we're right and they're wrong. And that's, you know, most of the time, I don't think that's the case. I think we think we're right. And we probably just don't know what's going on. In this case, I'm comfortable saying Dylan needed to run the ball more, period. We needed to run the ball to win the, the game. We stopped running the ball and AJ Dylan was succeeding running the ball. It's, it's inexplicable and inexcusable. Daniel says, I expected a slower start to all the hype. No one expected a blowout loss, but I did expect the offense to come out rusty with a new offensive line, as well as Rodgers not having the entire summer to collaborate with Matt LaFleur. And he did before his MVP season. I was also thinking the new defense is going to take time. Again, for sake of time, I'm not going to go into it, but I think that is fair. I think we all... But but here, here's the other thing. It's not just us. 
I think Aaron Rodgers and and some of the maybe the coaches or whatever, they all kind of acknowledge that maybe that is part of it. Not just the fans, but the players were a little too full of themselves. The players felt too comfortable thinking we're veterans, we're real good, they're not that good, and um, it they got hurt as a result. But again, it's it's a great it's a great thing because it pl- it this is a different feel for you. If you came into this thinking, I don't know, man, I think they're going to have a slow start and they have a slow start, there's no reason for you to be doom and gloom right now. It's just kind of, this is maybe not as, it's worse than you thought, but it's kind of what you thought. And so there's every reason to believe that we're going to get right back on track. John says, same old, nothing has changed and nothing will until we start fresh with a new quarterback. I, eh, I mean, I guess I see what, what you're saying. I, it all would come down to the problems with this team are the quarterback. And, and look, the, the problems with the team are leadership. I'm putting it on Matt LaFleur because ultimately that's where it needs to go. But yeah, maybe they do need somebody else in the locker room to kind of lead the team and, uh, I don't know, be the guy that tells people this is not acceptable, you need to show up. I I don't know. I, I'm i not there yet, but I, I get it. James says, we'll bounce back. I'm not in panic mode just yet. If we look this bad at home playing the Lions, then maybe it'll be time to panic. That's a pretty similar... Uh, we're all kind of on page with that, I guess. Sage says, Packer fans are trash. I completely understand the sentiment. I just do. I just, a lot of the things that I've seen are, are not very flattering. So without you elaborating, I won't elaborate. But I think depending on what you're talking about, there's a ton of validity to that. Cody says, the Packers' morale is broken. No leadership in the front office or on the field to be found. Tear down and rebuild. <sighs> the, I mean, the, the biggest issue, I, there's a couple different issues. And this, it sounds like you're coming at it from a anti gutikun standpoint. The front office has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Brian Gutekunst and Russ Ball and Mark Murphy, they're not the ones that are in the locker room doing the rah-rah stuff. They go out, they find the players, they put the players in the locker room, and then it's up to Matt LaFleur to take over from that point. If Mark Murphy went into the locker room and tried to give a pep talk to make sure that they went, they would all laugh. That's nonsense. That's not how that works. That's Matt LaFleur's job. The preparation, once the season starts, he gets them ready, he gets them prepared, he takes care of their mental state, he decides when they end up going there, why they go there, how they practice, when they practice, the intensity with which they practice, who plays, when they play, how much they play. All that is the coaches. And so if it's not working, it's not Gutekunst, it's not Murphy, it's not Bell, it's not even the roster because the talent is there. That's why I don't want to tear it down. You tear it down, these guys are going to be top performers on other teams. We need coaching that can come in and get these guys in the right spot and the right mindset to go out and perform, which they've done a fantastic job most of the time. But obviously, it's been a bit of a problem at certain times. And, and listen, again, if they bounce back from this and they do very, very well, none of this matters. Everything we said about Matt LaFleur goes away. I mean, until we get into the playoffs and lose and then it resurfaces. But that aside, the, the only issue I see, and, and you can have your own opinion, is that we have a stacked roster that is way too often not performing up to their full potential. And again, even in this game, half the roster did do a very good job, but the other group did so terribly. Like Aaron Rodgers. Should we replace the quarterback, or should we just acknowledge that there's a problem with MVP talent not showing up? I don't think we can just say some guys don't play well because Gutekunst did a bad job. What, at quarterback? Or what? Um, (laughs) Jason says, uh, it felt like if you had a birthday party the week after your parents had a huge fight. They're both there. They both said you're a great kid, but it was the worst party ever because they didn't speak to each other and just made it weird. Um, The Packers were there, but the game was just weird. 
I think something is very wrong in the locker room. Give me flashbacks about very weird and uncomfortable uh, birthdays and Christmases. Thank you for that. Dan says, I hope they got it out of their system like Tampa Bay did last year. I'm glad you brought that up because that's something else I wanted to say. And, well, whatever. The thing is, Tampa Bay, week one, lost pretty handily to the Saints. They went on to play the Saints again. I think they played them three times. I'm not sure. They played them again in the regular season and got beat 38-3. to Sound familiar? So they lost to them, not at the same time, but both week one and then later 38-3. to I think their season turned out just fine. Now, somebody else I saw commented on that. Yeah, but they have Tom Brady. It's a different situation. Why? We have Aaron Rodgers who won MVP. Tom Brady did not. And if your logic is, well, look at this game. Well, now we're doing circular reasoning here. We're just going around in circles. How, how did Tom Brady look in that game? If you're just going to pick one game where he was terrible, the point is the Buccaneers did bounce back because they have a good roster. They have a good coach. They have good scheme. They have good players. And they have a very talented quarterback, as do the Green Bay Packers. we got to see about this defense. But... That's the whole point. On top of that, I did discover that one of the things that I had said yesterday was incorrect. I'm not exactly sure how I got the thing wrong on my little stat search or whatever, but there were, I think, four other games in which Aaron Rodgers played as bad or worse via his um, his passer rating. One of them, I think, that he tied was in 2005. I think it was the game that I was talking about, but obviously that doesn't count because he didn't even play the whole game. It was He wasn't the starter yet. The other seasons were 2010, which was the year we won the Super Bowl, 2014, which is generally seen as one of the best years that the Packers have had, along with 2011 and 2020, and 2020. Last year against Tampa, he actually had a lower passer rate. So it was the year we won the Super Bowl, 2014, which is a great year, and 2020, which was a great year, are the three years in which Aaron Rodgers has done this exact thing. Very rarely happens, but it happens every year in which he has a very good year. It doesn't mean he has to have a good year, but it certainly doesn't point to anything saying that it's going to be a terrible year. Um, and then James says, obviously, J.K. Scott was the heart of the team. That is a fantastic way to end it. We didn't get to Twitter. We didn't even really get to PFF, aside from a couple little asides. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. That's the nature of this this little program here. Things take a very long time. But I appreciate you guys hanging out, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>